All right, let's stand take our Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6. Folks are making their way in from discipleship, and we're just going to have a good time today. 2 Kings 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. We're so glad you're here tonight. 2 Kings 6, verse 1. Look around you. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place. That would be a blessing. 2 Kings 6. What you're doing, I'd like to ask all the men to uh, be attentive to the fact we need all the men to help us stack up the chairs that are in the middle here and get them on the sides there. And we've got the rollers on, on my left side here. And we need to get those rolled away. We're having a deep, uh, thorough cleaning of the floors here, both in the Heritage Center as well as the kitchen. So we, that begins first thing tomorrow morning. So, men, you can help us with that. That would be a blessing. Second Kings chapter 6. All right, let's read. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried, and he said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Can you imagine such a sight? An axe head iron swimming on the water. And therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it. I want you to notice that this man was chopping away in verse 5. The axe head flew off. It doesn't say it flew off, but the Bible tells us it fell off, which is kind of an interesting thought there. And uh, it sank to the bottom of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is murky. The place where it fell was most likely he, he had no way of accessing it. It was a fast-moving water. It could be during that time that the, um, uh, the waters, the, the, the snow was melting, so the river was moving a little bit quickly there. A little dangerous for anybody to wait out there to get it. And uh, basically, this man lost his axe head, and yet we read here in verse 6 and 7, a miraculous thing happened. This man recovered his axe head. And tonight, I want to preach a message entitled, Sunken Treasure. And how we need to give back something that perhaps has fallen off and we can get back that sunken treasure from the Lord. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for your people who are still making their way in. As we assemble here tonight, stir our hearts, build up our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the greatest finds of sunken treasure was done not too many years ago. And there was a ship called the SS Central America about 130 years before back in 1857, that sank, and it went down in the Carolinas out there, and, uh, and it had three tons of California gold in, on, on it, and if you imagine, three tons of gold is a lot of gold, and it had about 425 people on it, the ship sank, everyone on the ship perished, they, they drowned, and the, the gold was sunken there, somewhere around about as much as 8,000 feet below, below the level there. And uh, nobody really attempted or had the ability to, to get it until a man by the name of uh, Tommy Thompson came along and developed some kind of a robotic device and uh, where he said he could pinpoint and find this, the, the Central America. And he did pinpoint it, and he, had, he rallied up a bunch of investors who got behind him. We put up many millions of dollars to find it. And it was, it was, it was, it was located but never brought back up. And uh, Tommy Thompson was indicted for fraud and still is in jail right now because they basically, even though he identified what he said was the spot, he's never brought the gold bars back up. 
And uh, it remains as one of the mysteries of our time as far as sunken treasure that's still sunken, it's still down there. And tonight we're not looking at a situation where treasure that has not been found. We're looking at a treasure situation where treasure was recovered and God got the glory out of it. Notice tonight in chapter 6, we're back in our study of Elisha and at his school of the prophets. And then again, as we've seen at other times, this is one of the great miracles. All the focus on Elisha is about the miracles that Elisha performed. With some prophets, like Nathan, the focus might be on the message, and some might be their one-on-one work. But with this man Elisha, everything we read about him focuses on his miracles. The very first miracle we see about Elisha was when he took the mantle of Elijah and he struck the waters of Jordan, and the waters parted hither and thither formed a cross uh, by which to cross. His second miracle was the healing of the waters of Jericho. God had cursed Jericho, was not supposed to be rebuilt a man by the name of Hiel came along in first Kings 16 remember that Hiel and he rebuilt the city and uh, therefore of course lost two sons along the way doing that but uh, the city went on thrived and but the waters were no good and uh, Elisha threw some some salt in that water and he healed the water his third miracle was kind of an interesting one he was making his way to Bethel and some some uh, young people came out and when I say young people they're probably in their between 16 to 25 and they came out and started mocking the man of God and uh, the Bible says he, he looked at them and God sent some she-bears out and did, uh, took care of vindicating him. His fourth miracle is when he went to an area where there was a woman by the name of uh, a woman of Shunem was there. And she was unable to, uh, she basically housed Elisha for a period of time. And he asked what, what her need was and found out that she had never had a child. And he prayed for her and God opened her womb so she could bear a child. His fifth miracle also involved this lady. Actually, this lady gets involved with three different th- different things with the man of God here. But her second one was the son that God gave her died and uh, she got her son back. And the prophet came and prayed over him and she got her son back. The sixth miracle was when he was at Gilgal uh, at the school of the prophets, which is where he's at right now. He's with the school of the prophets of Gilgal. And there was uh, they, they were, there was a scarcity of food. There was a famine going on. And uh, they went and gathered all those gourds. Remember that? And uh, one put uh, one gathered some wild gourds and put it inside there and didn't realize it was poisonous. And they said there's poison in the pot. And uh, the, and the, the man of God came by and he healed he healed the, the food there, the poison that was in the pot. His, se- his uh, next miracle, seventh miracle, was again with the school of the prophets where uh, someone came from Baalish Shalisha and brought some food, but it was not enough to feed a hundred men. And God multiplied the, the, that, the food that was given or the gift that was given and fed them. That was, a, that was a great miracle. The eighth one we saw not too long ago, the eighth miracle was the healing of Naaman from leprosy. And notice, if you would, the ninth miracle was when he chastened Gehazi and the same leprosy that was given to, uh, that was given over there to, that, that Naaman had was given to Gehazi. Not Nine unique, unusual miracles. And this tenth one here in chapter 6 has to top all of them because in this one, he defies the laws of gravity and the laws of buoyancy because iron that had sank to the bottom of the Jordan River actually defied gravity, made its way all the way back up. And if you would, the iron actually swam. You ever talk to somebody, you ask them a question, can you swim? And they'll say something like this. They say, yeah, I swim like a rock. And what they mean by that, I can't swim, I'll, I'll sink all the way to the bottom. And, uh, you know, you maybe your next turn for those who don't swim, you might say, I swim like an axe head. I float to the bottom. But in this situation, this axe head came to the surface and actually swam. I don't know about you, but that must have been a very cool event to watch it happen. This axe head make its way there. It wasn't the waves pulling it that way. The axe head defied all that and went that way. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this message entitled Sunken Treasure and see and for us to see some things that will benefit us. Now, you say, Pastor, you've preached from this before. I have. I've preached three times from this passage. In fact, one of my favorite building messages right from this 
passage. I'm going to preach it again before we go into the next building here. But tonight, I'm not talking about that. I want us to see some principles tonight and two or three thoughts this evening that, that you've not heard before. So I want you to see three things tonight from this passage of Scripture from our study tonight. First of all, notice in verses 1 to 4, if you're taking notes, verses 1 to 4, we see an expansion project. Notice verse 1 says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. They were in an expansion project. The uh, sons of the prophets and Elisha were there at the school of the prophets of Gilgal. Now I get this feel that the school of the prophets that Elisha perhaps showed the most preference towards and enjoyed being with was the one down there at Gilgal. Gilgal, of course, was a site where there are many great things God did there. And the, I, I, I get this idea that the school of the prophets was growing. They were adding people. And I don't know about you, but think about the Old Testament. A hundred men being trained for the ministry. That's quite a phenomenal number. Amen. Uh, God, God willing, one day we have a hundred men training for the ministry out of this church. Amen. That'd be a great thing. And uh, the men of God, these men of God come, and one of the things you try to learn in Bible college, there's a lot of things you need to learn in Bible college. You need to learn, you need to learn, uh, uh, you know, theology. You need to learn how to practice ministry. You need to learn administration. You need to learn common sense, amen, you know, things like that there. And uh, what, But one of the things you've got to learn is you've got to learn how to get vision. You've got to learn how to just get an idea of what God wants you to do. Hey, in Bible college, they say, are you supposed to learn how to pray? Well, it'd be good to learn how to pray in Bible college, but I'll tell you, you're going to learn your best praying when you get out of Bible college. You learn your best praying when you get a here or there, amen? When you get a need, you've got to pray down. Now, I encourage young people, they say, I can't afford to go to Bible college. That's why you got to go to Bible college, because you go there and you pray down your needs, amen? You pray for the next the next meal. Even if it means opening up the refrigerator and eating somebody else's sandwich, you still pray for the next meal, amen? I mean, some people do something like that, there, amen? So, we see an expansion project. And notice in verse 2, they said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and let us take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. Now, if you've been like me, You've read that many times. But put yourself in the place of these sons of the prophets. I mean, we go back two chapters before, and they barely have enough food to keep them going. And the man of God has to intervene for them because they don't know how to cook a bowl, a bowl, a pot of a pot of lentils. Amen. He has to help them out there because they put the wrong ingredients in, and almost killed themselves. Amen. You know. And it sounds like a Bible college. Amen. And uh, <laughs> something like that there. And uh, you know, they had that going on there. Then, then the man comes down there and brings them 20, 20 barley loaves, and they're trying to stretch twenty barley loaves among a hundred sons of prophets. It ain't gonna happen. All right. This is not going to happen. It's got to be multiplied there. So these guys, you know, they're, they're getting some vision. They realize, hey, we're growing. There's more guys surrendering to the ministry. And it's not Elisha making the proposal. Amen. It's not Elisha making the proposal. These guys are making the proposal. Notice some things in these first two verses. Notice we see a vision for construction. These sons of the prophets, they're, they're saying the place is too straight, it's too narrow, it's too constrained, it's too small. We barely have enough place to, to sleep. Now, if you want to get a vision for a great Bible college, let me take you to Brother Ed Lorena's Bible college. That, that'll give you great vision. On, in his Bible college, if you can imagine my platform here, he can, if, he had a, if he had one room this big for his men, and his typical room is probably about from here to, 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 to right there to the rail... He could fit from here to the rail. He could probably fit about eight, eight or nine guys in there. You say, how? That's Bible college, amen? Fit eight or nine guys sleeping on the floor, okay? And they're up at four o'clock in the morning, and they're washing their clothes by hand, and they're pressing their clothes, and then they go have their devotions. And his line is, if you don't have your devotions by five o'clock, he says, you can't have breakfast. Well, 
you know, when you consider how small their breakfast is, you want to have breakfast, amen? And so, I mean, that's, that's how constrained it, it, their Bible college. Well, this was very constrained. They didn't have enough place to sit down. They didn't have enough place to sleep, a number of things like that. And so they said, behold now the place where we dwell with these two straight for us. And notice these men, they have a vision for construction. Watch what happens there. They said, let's go over to Jordan. Now, if you go back and look at your Bible map later on, you've got to re-envision what happened in chapter 2 when Elijah and Elisha are making their circuit. They go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. You know, Gilgal was probably closest to Jericho and Jordan there. And you have to imagine from Jericho to Jordan, it had to be at least six or seven miles, perhaps, of walking distance. Now, you know, in those days, that was nothing for people. But for us, if you think about six or seven miles, that's quite a walking distance there, okay? And these men have vision. They're saying, look, where we're at right now, Gilgal is a nice place. It's got a great history. But let's go to Jordan. They're saying, let's go to the place where there's some great miracles have happened. Let's go to the place where God parted the waters. Let's go to the place that symbolizes sanctification. Let's go to the place where the priests walked in and they carried the ark of God. The God parted the waters hither and thither. When the priests put their, wa- their feet inside the water, it spread apart from them. They said, let's go there. There's more room there. And they said in verse 2, Let's go there, we pray, the end of Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place where we may dwell. I mean, they got a vision for construction. Hey, thank God that Elisha already had a vision. But Elisha, and I think as part of his training, was waiting to see if these men would have vision, if they would just get out of their comfort zone, and not be content with where they're at, and say, Lord, is there something better or greater that we can do? And they did. And these men had a vision for construction. They wanted the Lord to do something. Hey, thank God for the people who share the vision to build, who take ownership in the vision. Thank God for the people who share the vision to grow the work of the Lord, who are willing to carry some of the labor for some who would take a beam and say, let's all take a beam and carry it on our shoulder. And the beam was high, was bigger than a two by four. You're talking about a major piece of wood they're carrying. I'm talking about some, some guys carrying a big piece, like a lumberjack, carrying a big piece of wood. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to shave it off and plane it. And they're going to, they're going to fit it and build a building there. They had an idea of building a major Bible college there for the glory of God. There is a vision for construction. May I encourage us tonight as a church where we're building the building, let's not lose our vision for our area. Amen. Let's not lose our vision for getting the building done. Uh, one of our members asked me a, a few few weeks ago, he said, Pastor, after we get this built, what's the next one? And I said, well, I've got something in mind, but I said, I think we need to pay this down and give the people some time to rest. Amen. I, I think we need to get this thing paid down a little bit, not incur any more debt there. But we must have a vision for our area and a vision for building. Hey, let's get a vision for building our lives and let's get a vision for building our classes and let's get a vision for building people up and let's get a vision for building our families up in the Lord, we say a a vision for construction. But notice something else, and I love this. Notice verses 3 and 4. They go to Elisha, and they said, can we go, let's go, we pray thee, into Jordan, and let's go do this thing. And I like what happens in verse 3 and 4, because notice, we go from a vision for construction to a validated consent. He gives a consent. He gives an approval to them. He says, they said, be con- one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy service. And I'm glad one guy stopped for a minute while there's all this enthusiasm, excitement from all the sons of the prophets, out of a hundred plus prophets, one of them comes in and comes to Elisha and says, hey, be content. I pray thee to go with us. And others who are saying there, we, we want to build, but we don't want to build without you. Can I tell you something tonight? We want to build, but we, want to, we don't want to build without God. We don't want to build without God's permission. We don't want to build without God's power. We don't want to build without God's, uh, uh, God's concept on the matter there. And they said, be content, I pray thee, to go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. He gave, it, he gave a validated consent. It's always good and proper and wise for God's approval. I want to talk to young people tonight. You're thinking about college. And you're thinking about where you're going to go to work and where you're going to do things. And a lot, and, and the big thing with a lot of our young people and parents, please listen tonight. 
your kid, your kid gets these ideas. I'm going to go away to here because I can get this. I'm going to go there because I can get the scholarship. Those are all good things. I understand that from the world standpoint. But my number one question, I'm always going to ask every family that when they, when they're contemplating that, I'm going to ask them, where are you going to go to church when you move away? Where are you going to get your soul fed? What's going to happen with your life? Because I'm going to tell you, statistically, 9 out of 10 young people that move out of the area, they don't come back. And 9 out of 10, when they, if they don't come back, they rarely come back to church the way they left church. They come back less involved in church. And it, it's a number of things that happen with that. They just don't have the inclination. And I'm thankful here that these men came to Elisha and they said, I pray thee, go with us to build. Go with us to do this thing. Uh, we want to remind ourselves tonight, never assume to do something for God and without God. Never run ahead of your spiritual leaders. Kids, watch out. Don't run ahead of your parents. And parents, don't get such a dream for your kids that, that wherever they go, they're not in church. You say, well, they'll make it for four years. I promise you they won't make it after four weeks. I think it's important we just get God's permission what we're doing. It's always God who should be including us and not including God. By the way, when you study every building program in the Bible, every building program in the Bible had God's approval on it. The very first building program was Noah's Ark. He got God's approval on it. The second building program was the tabernacle. God gave Moses the approval. The third one was Solomon's temple, and he got God's approval. The fourth one was the second temple was built, and Ezra got the, the approval, and Nehemiah got the approval. The fifth one were the walls of Jerusalem, when God moved upon uh, Nehemiah to build it up. And now we see the school of the prophets. Every major building program in the Bible always had God's approval on it. I believe Heritage Baptist Church has God's approval on our building program. I was telling Brother Vaughn as we were walking out there a little bit, uh, uh, this afternoon, trying to walking and seeing where the walls are going up and the plumbing's in place and the AC's in place and where they're going to do wiring and climbing the stairs and just envisioning how the classes are going to flow and looking at where the where we're going to have a prayer room over there and looking at, uh, looking at our nursery and classrooms, things like that. We're looking at all those things and I said it's going to be wonderful to see this building flowing with people and just God, God all over this thing here. But I remind you tonight, I, I said to Brother Vaughn, can you imagine in 2007, the city told us we couldn't build and look what God has done here. Amen. I mean, that's to the glory of God. There. I'm just saying tonight, you notice these men, we see this expansion project and we see a vision for construction. We see a validated consent. But notice if you would, some very important verses two to four. Please don't miss this tonight. Notice in verses two and four, we see a vital confederation. You know, some of the key phrases we find here are in verse two. Let us, not let me, let us go. And by the way, aren't you glad tonight that everywhere we find the phrase, let's go, it's always in reference to something big for God. There's a let's go to a calling. There's a let's go to the commission. There's a let's go to a country. And notice there's a let's go to a construction. And notice some of the key phrases that we find here in verses two to four. Let us go. We take thence every man a beam. Let us make us a place where we may dwell. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, there they cut down wood. I mean, I like that. Everyone's involved. Can I tell you tonight, construction projects, everyone can be involved. Now, it may not be equal in giving, but we can be equal in our participation. Amen. We can be equal in our involvement. And I like the fact when I look at this confederation, everyone said here, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get out of Acts. We're going to go find an axe somehow. We're going to get an axe here somehow. And we're going to start building. We're going to start constructing. We're going to ask God to do something. We're going to perspire and ask God to do something. Don't worry, I'm not going to chop up the pulpit. That's not going to happen today, right? 
But uh, let's go. You guys are all making funny faces at me there. So I better put it down here for a minute here. But anyway, so we, uh, we, we see here tonight that these people are, are excited about building something. They're excited about enlarging the facility. They're excited about getting their hands dirty. They're excited about getting some calluses on their hands. They're excited about all those things. I'm just saying, there's an expansion project. We start off, this is a very exciting chapter in the Word of God. But notice the second thing tonight very quickly. In verse 5, we go from an expansion project to an exasperating problem. Now, I always remind you where there's vision and where people are getting saved and things are happening, always be ready for the problem, amen, because problems are going to come. In fact, I don't even know you can be ready for the problem because you don't really know what the problem is going to be, amen. And once you notice verse 5, something very interesting. What you notice in verse 5, the focus goes from the school of the prophets to one man. The, 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 the focus goes from a project and the people in the project to one person. And I want you to imagine with me the reason why the Holy Spirit of God put that there is so that you and I could see ourselves in the midst of a very, very fervent ministry. And I want you to see some things that can happen in the midst of a busy church, a working church. The Bible says in verse 5 here, as one was felling a beam. Now circle the word felling because that's important. We'll see in a moment. It didn't say as one was chopping a beam. And it says one was cutting a beam. It said as one was felling a beam. The word felling is a very, very important word the Holy Spirit put there. As one was felling a beam, the axe head fell in the water. Notice it didn't say it flies in the water. Now we always say it flies in the water. It probably did. But the Spirit of God didn't want us to focus on the axe head flying off. It wanted to focus on the fact it fell. And it says the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and he said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. Well, notice here this problem as it starts off here. The first thing we see in verse 5 is see we see this man is fervently busy. He was chopping away. So you can imagine the man, he's, a, he's an expert, he's an expert guy here. He's getting ready and he's ready and he chops away. He gets ready and he, and he chops away, he chops away. He's just chopping away there. He's chopping away. He's busy cutting. Now you can imagine the first two times, two or three times he started cutting, he was just getting familiar with the axe. He's getting familiar with the axe head and the weight and shifting it and getting leverage so he's able to hit it at the base of the tree and hit it correctly. And you can imagine maybe the first two times he missed his mark and then he hits it and then he hits it and he hits it and he keeps chopping away and chopping away. This man is chopping and he's chopping. And notice the Bible says there, as one was felling a beam, his intention was, was to cut down a tree. Now we're not sure how far along he got. We're not sure if he got a quarter of the way along. We're not sure if he got a halfway along. But we know this, he was intention was to fell the beam. He was busy, busy cutting. Notice it says he was felling the beam. Now, the word felling means this. You want to write this down. It means this. He was in control. He was in control. In fact, it means this. If you look up the word fell, where it's used in the Bible in this context, it talks about something being brought prostrate before something else. So, for instance, if the Bible says, uh, if it says, Moses fell prostrate before the Lord. It's the same idea. Something being brought under the mastery of another. And so notice this man is felling the beam. He's, he thinks, he feels like, okay, I've got it now. I'm in control. I've got it now. I'm in control. I've got it now. I'm in control. I'm going to chop away. I'm just busy doing my thing. And there's hundreds of these guys chopping away the woods there in Gilgal. Excuse me, actually in Jordan, excuse me. They're chopping away in some wooded area by Gilgal, by, 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 by Jordan. They're chopping away, they're chopping away, they're chopping away. And let these guys are school, these are prophets. These are not expert, expert lumbermen, but they're becoming experts real quickly there. And he's getting the feel for this and he's busy doing it and he's focused on what he's doing. And watch what happens. This is what happens to you and me. He got so good at what he was doing, so he's chopping away. He just felt like, hey, I can do it. I can get it done. 
piece of cake. It's a no-brainer. I can close my eyes and get it done. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like you get it, get in your, you're getting your bus on Sunday morning. You turn the crank up the engine. I can get it. I know where exactly where I'm going to go. As I come to church tonight, you got, you got your wife, you got your husband, got your kid, got your keys, got your Bible, hopefully, amen. And you got in your car and you said, I know I can get to church. I know where I'm going. And, uh, you know, it's like cleaning the church. We said, as we got ready, he said, well, we'll get the chairs here and we'll set it up and we're setting up the PA system. We, I mean, we know what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? We, we know what we're doing. We, we've got it down. And this man's fervently busy. He says, piece of cake. No, no, no problem. I'm going to keep chopping and I'm going to keep chopping. I'm going to keep chopping until I knock it down. And this man was busy like this. Hey, that's like us. We can get to the place where first time you start serving God, you're a little bit nervous and you're a little bit shaky. You're worried about who's watching you. I imagine he was worried. I hope they don't think I'm a wimp, man, when I first swing it. I hope they don't think I, I don't know what I'm doing. I hope, I hope I don't miss and cut my foot off. You know, he's probably thinking something like that there. But you know, by, by the third or fourth time, he's got this together. And you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like my friend, my friend Bob Ross, first time he went sewing, I've told the story many times, but he went sewing there at Howells Anderson College, very first week out, he grew up around here in San Leandro, knocked on the door, he was so nervous, he knocked on the door, the man opened the door, he said, yes sir, what can I do for you? He says, hi, my name is Bob Ross, if I die today, do you know for sure I'm going to heaven, you know? Now, I can imagine sewing or doing something like that, but I promise you, Bob Ross, after about the 10th time, he got it down pretty well, Amen. You know what I'm talking about? We can serve the Lord and we just got it down real well. Hey, come on, ushers. It's a no-brainer to come down with a bag and collect the offerings as long as you don't put your hand in the bag, amen, you know? <laughs> hey, guys, it's easy to sing a song in church. I mean, we make it so easy for you. We project it on a screen. All you got to do is look at it. And even if you don't know how you sound, you can pretend like you sound pretty good, amen? And you hear the same song over and over again. After about five or six times, you think, I'm getting the swing of it. And you know, it's like going so when the first couple times you go, you get a track, you knock on a door, you give it out. And you know, we get into the swing of things. We're a busy church. By the way, I'd rather be a busy church than a non-busy church. Amen. But we can get to the place, as it's like this man filling a beam, we feel like we've got it down so well, we feel like we are in control. Hey, teachers and preachers in the room. Now, come on. John 3, 16. I've got it under control. I'm going to preach from the... I'm going to teach a lesson from James on the tongue. I've got it under control, except for my tongue, but I've got it under control. Amen. <laughs> i got it under control. We get into a routine. We take a few swings and we got under control. I'm going to master the ministry. The ministry's not going to master me. I've got this down. I know all 66 books of the Bible. No problem. No sweat. I'll come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm under the routine. I'm fervently busy. This man was fervently busy. The Bible says in verse 5, as one was felling a beam. Hey, I wonder how many of us tonight are busy felling a beam and we've got, we were into this routine, we've got it down well, and we're chopping away, and the chips are flying, and we just think, I'm going to get this tree down, I'm going away. But notice something interesting happens, this man makes a blunder. It's a faulty blunder. This one was felling a beam, watch this. Now this one's secure, this is a commercial made one. In those days, they weren't commercially made. As one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into water. So you can imagine this guy, he's, he's got this axe head up. 
as he, as he, after he hit it, he got that last time in there, he pushed it up, and the axe hit, which is pretty heavy on there, somehow it flew off. But the Bible doesn't focus on the fact that it flew off. The Bible wants to focus, especially if you go back to that time when it was written, it wants us to focus on the fact that it fell into the water. And it fell in a location where he couldn't recover it. It fell in the water. He made a blunder. You see, most likely this man, as it fell into the water, there is a lot of things going on in his mind. It didn't happen to anyone else. And if it did, the focus is on this one guy. Notice that man as he was chopping away and the axe had fell into the, for the water. Notice some things here tonight. He didn't properly secure it. He didn't keep it tight. He didn't check it along the way. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a good, if you're a good woodsman, you're gonna check every now and then, make sure the axe head is not loose, because you don't wanna lose your cutting edge. You wanna make sure it's tight. He didn't keep it tight. He didn't check it along the way. Uh, he, he started cutting down, and he did, without making sure it was good to go, he kept cutting without checking every now and then. Hey, you could be busy serving, and be involved in multiple ministries, or just have one ministry, but every now and then, you've gotta check your spiritual life, to make sure you're tight with God, amen? He wasn't tight with God. Was tied with his accent. Just busy chopping away, doing his thing there. Hey, listen, building progress can reveal the best about us. That's what happens in verses one to four. The best thing happened. The church, the, the, the sons of the prophets got together. A bunch of Baptist preachers said, we can get it done. I mean, that's probably one of the few times in the Bible, a bunch of Baptist preachers had it together. Amen. We can get it done. And now we get to verse five. Not only do building programs reveal the best about us, building programs can reveal the worst about us too. I'm going to say some things to you that are going to be shocking in a few moments. What this building program has revealed to us. But notice something else. In the midst of this building program, as this expansion project was going on, this man had an axe head. Notice the Bible says that fell into the water. During building programs, things fall. It's not the things that fall I'm worried about. It's people that fall. They fall off the radar screen. They fall into sin. They fall into darkness. They fall while they're cutting. While they're serving. They fall while they're busy. They fall while others are around them. By the way, they fell in the head. This accident fell in the water when Elisha was there. Hey, they fall even when Elisha's around. It happens. We've had some great preachers come to our church in the last two and a half, three years while we've had this building program. And I'm going to say something to you, okay? We're seeing the people saved. We're off to a good start in baptism. We had a good year of baptism last year. We're also seeing the back door side. We're seeing some who have struggled. They're not here or they're struggling to get back in. There's all these dynamics going on. And honestly, we should be on a given Sunday, 100, 150 people over where we're at right now. We're just bar- barely over where we're at just a year ago, mainly because of sickness and things like that. But we're that. And, and you kind of wonder what's going on. I'll tell you why. Because we're in the midst of a building program. In the midst of a building program, we find out what's really going on inside of our lives there. It doesn't mean you're bad people. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just reveals what's inside of us. 
And this man, while he's busy chopping, while he felt like I, I'm felling the beam and I've got this under control and I can get this down and I can make it happen and I know it's going to come down and after that I'm going to get to the next beam and he keeps chopping and chopping and along the way as he lifts back, the axe head flies into the water and as it flies into the and he probably goes back there and he, and he goes like this, he goes like this and it flies into the water and he watches it, it goes there and it falls in the water. There's no way he could catch it. It makes a faulty blunder. But notice something else. It says it fell in the water. Not just our lives that fall. You know, the Bible says when God confronted Cain about his offering, you know what the Bible says about Cain? It says his countenance fell. And the Lord went to me and says, why is thy countenance fallen? Do you ever hear God tap you on the shoulder in the middle of the service and say, why is your countenance falling? Why are you living in discouragement? How come you're still struggling with bitterness? But notice something else. Verse 5, this man is horrified. He's felling a beam and the axe head falls in the water. He's not laughing. He's not having a party. He's horrified. Because you know what? He's felling the beam. Without that axe head, he's not going to get the job done. Without that axe head, that, that, that piece of wood, that, that wood beam is not going to come down. Listen, a lost axe head, a lost axe head, brother and sister in Christ, a lost axe head represents lost power. We've lost our power when we can't cut anymore. We've lost our... Listen, you can fake it as long as you can, but you can't chop down a tree with the blunt edge of a handle. You've got to have an axe head. And this man lost his axe head. He lost his power. And I wonder how many of us are like this man. We have lost our power. Our axe head's fallen off. It's fallen in the water. But we know it, but we don't want to acknowledge it. We know it, but we don't want to reclaim it. And we just keep trying to chop away. We try to fake it. There's nothing there. Listen, without that axe head, that beam would not come down. And without that beam, they'd be missing a piece of lumber to get that building done. Let me tell you tonight, if all of us are without power, it doesn't matter how many buildings we build. And if all of us don't have power, it doesn't matter how much of an offering we take up. And if all of us have our power, it doesn't matter how many resources we get from somebody else. If we don't have the power, we don't have the blessing of God on our lives tonight. We're powerless. We're trying to serve, but our axe head is missing. We're trying to sing in the choir, play in the orchestra, but our axe head's missing. We're trying to serve in any capacity of the church. Our axe head is missing. We're trying to preach and our axe head is missing. We're overseeing a Sunday school class, but our axe head is missing. Listen, a lost axe head represents lost power. Well, this man was, notice in verse 5, he was fervently busy. He was filling a beam. He thought he had it under control. Notice verse 5, this man was not only fervently busy, he had a faulty blunder. He didn't check his axe head. He didn't secure it. He didn't do it. And I'll, and I'll show you later on what expert cutters do to make sure they don't lose their axe head. You notice verse 5, he's in a fearful bind. He cried. Why is it the only time we pray our greatest prayers is when we're in a problem? When crisis comes. You hear me say this all the time, but I'll say it again. We need to pray like we're in a crisis, otherwise God sends us a crisis to teach us how to pray. This man's in a crisis. He's crying. I mean, I mean 
He's crying. Tears are coming down. You ever watch a grown man cry? I've had quite a few lately come to my office or meet me on the side somewhere. They're crying because the burden is too great. He said, alas, master. That's a phrase, a term is saying, this is awful. This is the end of me. And he makes a statement that should call your attention. He says, alas, master, for it was borrowed. It's not mine. Hey, can you think with me for just a minute? People didn't have an axe head for recreational purposes. Okay? They didn't have axe killers in those days. Amen? You know? They didn't have these for recreational purposes. This was somebody's livelihood. And he knew he had to return this and somebody's livelihood was just put at risk because he lost the accent. He showed he was irresponsible. He showed he couldn't be trusted. He demonstrated that if he went back, if he went back to the owner of that, of that accent and handle, that man would never trust him with a piece of equipment again. And that man said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. It was not my own. I promised to repay it. I promised to be a good steward. Hey, this reminds you and me in the, in the chopping process of service of God, every gift you've got, every talent you have, have every ability you and I have that is a stewarded gift from God given to you and me God doesn't ask us to do things because we're special he asks us to do things because he's given us gifts and abilities to use for the glory of God every Christian today we're in this first quarter you need to assess and determine what is the spiritual gift that God has given me and what am I doing with that spiritual gift because if we're putting our spiritual gift to the right and proper use for the glory of God listen churches are healthy and churches are thriving and churches are growing but if we put more emphasis on our physical gift and our physical abilities over and above the spiritual abilities guess what the, the, listen the talent's there but the power's still gone who's in a fearful bind It's borrowed. We're on borrowed time. We borrowed talents. All of our treasures are borrowed. Notice something else here. Do you notice this? You can only cut with one wax head at a time. We only have one life to live. Live it for the glory of God. The last master. Was borrowed. We see an exasperating problem. But you notice as we close tonight, we see a turnabout of events. Remember, the focus is on one man. <clears throat> this man knew he needed God's help. By the way, aren't you glad God's there to help you? Now, I want you to notice this is where the miracle comes in, verses 6 and 7. Would you notice an extraordinary procurement? Now, when you study Elisha, this is very interesting. In the majority of the miracles that God uses him to perform, the focus goes from calling him Elisha to the man of God. With the emphasis on the fact that perhaps up until that miracle, there were some there where they were not convinced he had God's touch on his life. There were some there that had credibility issues. And so God had to work past that to show that he had God's anointing. And God's touch on his life. And so you notice verse 6 here. We see this extraordinary procurement. We see how this man gets his axe head back. We see God did not forsake him. We see that the Lord did not turn his back on him. He said the last master was borrowed. We find here that God is there for him. And I say again, aren't you glad tonight that God is there for you? Maybe you're somewhere there. You've been fervently busy. and It's eating you up on the inside. You're saying, man, that's exactly where I've been at in life. I've been busy. 
I've got it down. I feel like I've mastered it, but I've had no power. And let me encourage you tonight. We need to be like this servant who came to the master. He came to Elisha and said, would you help me? He came to the servant and says, would you enable me? Would you assist me? I need help right now. And would you notice some things as we close tonight? First of all, this man, as, he, as this happened, notice we see a factual or full confession. Now, Elisha could have recovered it for him. That's not what Elisha wanted to do. And the man of God did not make a statement to him. By the way, he didn't accuse him. He didn't give him a lashing with his tongue. I think a lot of us in our self-righteousness, we want to lash people with their tongue. Listen, we, we need to just thank the Lord for his grace in our lives so that God's grace can be in somebody else's life sometimes too. Amen. And he, this is what he does. He goes to this man. He says, okay, we're felt. We're felt. He didn't ask, where did it fly off to? Okay. You lost your axe head. Where did it fall? He's telling him here, I want you to tell me exactly the place where you lost the axe head. Listen, before God can bless, before the power can come, before we can regroup and get back again what we had before, we've got to be honest enough and truthful enough to confess before God and tell God, this is where it fell. I can identify the place where it fell. Listen, you'll find it where you lost it. <clears throat> if you lost it when you were out, by, by, if you used to be so winning, but you're no longer so winning, you'll find it where you stopped so winning. If you lost it where you used to be praying, but when you're no longer praying, you'll find it where you lost it where you used to be praying. He said, show me the place where you lost it, and I'll show you how to recover it. Listen, tonight, we need to ask ourselves a question. Where did I lose it? Where did I lose the good spirit? And where did I lose the giving attitude? And where did I lose a generous heart? And where did I lose a life that was clean and right before God? And where did I lose the joy? And where did I lose the fervor for prayer? And where did I lose the excitement for souls being saved? And where did I lose the faithfulness for God? I mean, we've got to ask ourselves a question. I mean, basically he's asking you and me tonight. Where did you, where'd you lose it? Where did it fall? Because if you can point out, tell me where it fell, you're going to get your power back. You get the axe hit back right there. So he tells them, you must give a full confession. Listen, we must understand tonight. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confess and forsake the sin shall have mercy. You must understand, confession is the beginning of the day. Confession is at the end of the day. And confession is in the middle of the day. They, making sure with God, we make a full and factual confession. And the notice in verse 6, we see a phenomenal cooperation. And this man's very honest. He's very contrite. And he says, he says, Elisha's right there. Somebody might be right there. Somebody else might be right there. See, where fell it? Show them the place. Remember, you used to have tears. Remember, you used to be more concerned. Remember, you used to have the fervency. Where fell it? Right there. Right there. Where fell it? And amazingly, the prophet of God doesn't say another thing. He showed him a place. And Elisha went with him, by the way. He was cutting wood too. He stopped for a minute. And whatever kind of tree they had there. And I didn't study to find out what kind of trees. It doesn't matter at this point. But he went to a tree. And he cut off a branch. Now this will make do for the illustration tonight, okay? This is not exactly the branch I think they use, okay? <laughs> but it'll work. He cut a branch. 
You know what he did? Look at the Bible. What did he do with it? Who's the branch in the Bible? Jesus. Here's the problem. Get Jesus back in the program. Get Jesus back in the giving. Get Jesus back in the song service. Get Jesus back in the word of God. Get Jesus back in your praying. He cast in a branch thereof. He cut down a stick and he cast it. That's exactly what God told Moses to do at the waters of Merah. He showed him a tree and Moses said, I got it. And when our eyes are on ourself and our eyes are on accomplishments and our eyes are on the results, every now and then we've got to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Amen. We've got to turn on Christ and look in him, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and fainting in your own minds, as Hebrews 12, 3 says. We need to look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, we just, he said, you know, here's what you got to do. You just show me the place, and I'll, and I'll take care of it. And he threw a stick back in, and he realized at that moment when the stick went back in, it was a matter of the priorities, it was a matter of the hard emphasis, it was a matter of his motivation is desire and he cast the stick back in he got it to place where he realized the focus is not on the building and the focus is not on me and the focus is not on my boat and the focus is not on the equipment the focus on anything we do is for the glory of god an amazing thing happens we see this phenomenal cooperation and notice what happens here and the iron did swim It made its way to him. You know, I tell you tonight, our fruitless service can be fruitful again. God can give us back our cutting edge. God can give us back our prayer life. God can give us back our Bible reading time, the sweetness. God can give us back that lost exit. God can give life where there's death. Listen, there is no life inside me. God gave life. And listen, God can give life where there's death in something. Listen, God can bring it back alive. God can give us revival. We can get back our joy. We can get back the power. It came to him. It swam to him. It was not him that made the difference. It was God who made the difference. God was the one that brought the exit to the surface. Listen, when he did that, it defied the laws of gravity. It defied the laws of buoyancy. Listen, axe headers are not buoyant. It's heavier than water. It sank to the bottom. He couldn't see it, but it came to him. And it made its way to him. There's a phenomenal cooperation. God says, okay, I see your heart. And I see that you really are genuine. I see that you're really honest about it. I see that you really want back that oxen. He says, I'll give it back to you. Would you tonight just come with me and say, listen, I see your heart. And I just say, God, I just need to get it back. And listen, God, in his phenomenal working, that he'll give it right back to us again there. As we close tonight, would you notice a faith confidence? Now, a lot of times, this is how we close a lot of our services. That's how we end a lot of our devotion times. So I told, I told them that at, at Spiritual Leadership Conference, I said, hey, we're here. And we're getting a lot of good ideas, but it's not a good idea we need. It's the God idea we need. We need to hear from God. And I remind you today, that a lot of times God shows us and God puts it right back in our lap. You know, you ever have you ever been to a service where the preacher's preaching away and, and, and the preacher that just has, he just hits, he hits on all the right all the right elements there. And he said, man, this is exactly what I needed to hear. 
And here's the thing. We sit there and we're theorizing about it instead of taking advantage of it. And notice what this man does. The iron to swim. And he said to him, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it. Hey, there had to be a faith confidence. This man had to take, put his hand out by faith because it kind of may have spooked him out for just a second. But see, this axe is swimming to him and thinking, this is, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know about you. I'd probably think the same thing. Amen. If I saw axe head swimming to you, I'd think, okay, what's going on here? Is that thing demon possessed? What's going on here? You know, first thing I'd be going about there, you know, and he's coming. He says, put your hand out, take your hand out and take it to thee. You know, God wants us by faith to take what God gives us. Take it by faith. Don't, don't ask for God to explain what God, there are things God does he doesn't have to explain. He just wants us to have faith to believe him for that. Amen? This man took it back. And did you notice verse 6 and 7? He took his, put out his hand and he took it. And then we go into a new section of scripture. <laughs> now there's some unanswered questions, but I think they are answered. Do you ever notice as we end verse 7, it doesn't tell about how the building program was completed. It doesn't tell us what happened to the guy. Why? Because I believe the building program got completed. Why? Because I believe he took back the accent and he was a more careful person. You say, well, what did he learn from all that? I think he learned to be a little bit more preventive. You see, when expert, expert woodsmen, you know what they do before they go start chopping? They do two things with their accents. Number one, they make sure it's wedged in very carefully. You know what we need to do? They wedge it in very tightly to make sure it's as tight. And they don't just do it by themselves. They get other people involved. You know what that speaks to me about? That speaks to me about a prayer life. When we get our prayer life to place, our prayer lives, we get our prayer lives tightened around our lives. We wedge our prayer lives right around our lives. Second thing he did. You know what an expert, expert cutter does? They take their axe. And bear in mind, they used a wooden handle. They take their axe head with their axe. And they dip it in water. And they leave it in water for an extended period of time. Now, why do you do that? Well, you leave, it, you leave it immersed in water. You know what happens? When you soak it in water, what happens? The wood expands around the iron and it snugs on it so it won't come loose. You know what that tells me? We need to soak our lives in the water of the word so it doesn't come loose. Amen? Amen? Let's soak our lives in the water of the word so we don't come loose. Listen, you're going to come loose sometimes and I'm going to come loose sometimes. It's when you're cutting away, you're cutting away and you think you've got under control and you think you've got under control and all of a sudden... It flies off and you say, alas, master, fruit was borrowed. Realize it was too late. You wonder if it's too late, if there's enough time. Can I give you hope tonight? It's never too late to serve the Lord. It's never too late to tighten that wax in. It's never too late to wedge it in a little bit more. And maybe what some of us need to do so we don't lose that accent, maybe some of us need to take some time tonight and just soak our lives, just put that axe head with the wood inside the water and soak it so that it expands a little bit, that it's around us. It, it just snugs itself around us that we're soaked in the water of the word. You know, what I see here tonight. As we look at verses five to seven and close, this man became a better person through this process. Building programs reveal the best and the worst that's inside of us. Those are all good things. God wants us, as we study this passage and conclude tonight, God wants us to be better people. Because things do get loose. And sometimes we don't keep things as tight as we should. And we don't keep things as secure as we should. And we let things loose a little bit until the accent flies off. And it's not until then that we realize, man, I'm trying to cut away with a blunt edge of a handle and it's not going to get the job done we can't get the job done that way we can fake it only for so long but we can't get it done beloved we need god's power tonight may the cutting edge of god's power 
be restored in our lives. May we have a desire to just immerse and soak our lives in the water of the word and wedge our lives tightly in the matter of prayer. I'm thankful that the focus is not on the building. The focus is on God. I'm thankful the focus is not on the, the people that got all involved into the thing. I'm thankful tonight the focus was on what God did there for them that night. It was the recovery of the axe head. It was a memorable experience of seeing how God was at work. May we not lose sight of the miracles of God. May we ask God to do more for our church and more in our lives. Let's pray for the miracle of souls being saved. Let's pray for the miracle of lives being changed. Let's pray for God to help us. There, maybe tonight there's some of us, our axe head's a little bit loose and we need to tighten it up a little bit. Would you take some time tonight and soak yourself in God's word and wedge it tightly. Father, tonight, thank you this evening. This man recovered sunken treasure it was sunken to the bottom but he got it back and i'm reminded the bible says but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of god and not of us it wasn't an axe head that needed to be sharpened it was an axe head that fell into the water elisha asked the man where fell it Tonight, Lord, my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit has helped us to see maybe something that's fallen off the radar screen. It needs to be recovered. God, give us such a hunger and such a thirst. Like this man, he realized this was a serious problem. He said it was borrowed. Help us to understand tonight that everything we have is borrowed. It's on loan to us. Our life is on loan. Our gifts and talents are on loan. We have nothing of ourselves. We are bought with a price. We are not our own, the Bible says. We are debtors to the gospel. We are debtors to Christ. We're debtors to people who need the Lord. And tonight, Lord, I pray that there be just a, a stirring in our hearts and recognizing that we need to get Jesus back in the place where he used to be. We need to get our eyes on the, on the Lord and our eyes on the cross. And we need to get refocused on the Lord, not on us. And, Father, not to be so fervently busy that we forget about the fact that we need the Lord. I pray this evening we desire your power greatly. This man had sunken treasure, but he got it back. And maybe some of us, our exits have fallen into the water. We need to recover that exit tonight. And not to play games with God, but to be real. And, Lord, that the focus is on, on the life and the focus is on the Lord. And the focus is God on God's work in our lives. Tonight, have your way. And then tonight, if someone here this evening is not saved, I, I pray that the accent of God's word has cut away in their heart and strengthened their need for Christ. Save souls tonight, we pray. Bring us to a place of revival. We ask for this, Lord, of you now in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that you come tonight. Let's stand. Every head bowed and every head closed. You need to come tonight. We need to get that axe head sharpened once again. You come tonight. How many of you feel like me this evening? We need to soak that axe head in the wood and inside the water for an extended period of time so it's tight. Something loose. Something ready to fall off. Your prayer life about to come off its wheels. Your Bible reading coming off the wheels. Your service for God non-existent. You're just chopping away, but with a blunt axe head. Don't you think tonight's a good time to get it back? You said, Pastor, it's a long way to the front. Man, it was a long way to get, to get the uh, axe head, but it came to him. And the Bible says that he said, take it up to thee. May we have faith, confidence that take it up to us. Would you, would you put your hand out and take it back? Let's take it back tonight. Amen. Get back what was lost. Recover it. The Lord brought it back. Let's take it back tonight. Would you do that this evening? Then tonight, if you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to Christ. He loves you and gave his life for you. He died for your sins that you can go to heaven. We invite you tonight to call upon the Savior to 
save you from your sins. Would you come tonight? Father, thank you for graciousness and love and for mercy. And for when we are deserving of justice, thank you that we can see the mercies of God. And no wonder David could cry out every day, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And Jeremiah, in a very difficult time, as he watched Jerusalem languish and even watched it go into captivity, he said, Lord, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And Father, thank you tonight that, Lord, we, we've seen a passage of Scripture that speaks to us about the faithfulness of God and the great mercy of the Lord. And God, I pray tonight that we're not just trying to chop away and look like we're busy without any power. But God, even this man that, Lord, right in the middle of a building program, he had interruption to help him realize that, Lord, something was missing. Help us to recognize tonight in the midst of a building program that, that if something's missing, we need to recover it. And God, to have the faith confidence to put on our hands and, and to grab it and take it up to us once again. And Lord, may we not be negligent with it, but to ever treat it so, so responsibly for your glory. Dismiss us tonight with your blessing. Circle us in our thoughts with some things that were said tonight that will help us be better people. And uh, Lord, tonight, maybe even through this passage, there's some things you revealed about us that are good and some things you revealed to us that need to be improved upon. And thank you for all that this evening so that you might be glorified. Thank you this evening for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for feeding our soul. And we'll thank you for this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.